0: Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church, located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. All right. If you guys would, let's bring it back to the center of the room. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1 today. Galatians chapter 1. Hey, let me say a prayer for us, and then we're going we're to jump in. God, thank you so much for this morning, for gathering us and just reminding us of, of beautiful truths, that we, we need perfection, we need clean hands before you, and that's something we can't do, uh, but Christ has done on our behalf. And God, because of that, um, because of your amazing grace, we have been extended peace, that we have assurance that our relationship with you has been repaired and that you have transferred us from darkness to eternal life and that we are forever in your love. And God, as we remember these truths, help us to apply them to our hearts in a way that brings life, that brings joy, and that helps us to see how your gospel is at work to change us and to make us more and more like you. God, as we begin to work through more of the gospel this morning, let it be absolutely clear to our hearts. God, we know that we are dependent on your spirit to open up our eyes to understand spiritual truths, and, and we ask that you would do that this morning. Open our hearts to understand what only you can help us understand. That's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, in the movie Elf, you, you've got Will Ferrell, who plays Buddy. And backtracking the movie, Santa is going through an orphanage. He's got his sack, and, and a baby kind of climbs into the gift bag. And then they don't find out until they get back to the North Pole. And so knowing that this, this baby has no family to go back to, Santa decides to allow the child to grow up in the workshop with the elves. But as the movie continues and as Buddy gets older, it becomes becomes painfully obvious that he's different. I mean, it's played by Will Ferrell. He's huge. It's like, you're not an elf. And so when he finds that out, he embarks on this journey to New York City where he's gonna go and try to find his real dad. And so he shows up to the city and he's just in awe of the buildings and the busyness and and all of the, the, the lights and everything that New York City... Is and at one point he's walking past this diner, and, and on the diner it says, World's Best Cup of Coffee. And so he busts in and he goes, Congratulations, you did it! Wow, glad to be here. And then it shows the patrons in the diner, and they're just kind of awkwardly staring at him as there's this tension. They obviously don't believe that the world's best of cup of coffee is here. It's just simply something they threw onto the window to get people in the door. And so he just slips out and goes on his way. And, and I love how that scene paints a picture of how marketing tends to work in our culture, where we have these buzzwords that are used for a time that are meant to kind of get people in, but then it doesn't take long for them to just become white noise, where when we hear it, it doesn't really move anything about us. And you think about food packaging. You know, a couple of years ago, everything was supposed to be um, organic or fair trade. Before that, it was, is it diet or low fat? And now you're looking for things that say non-GMOs. And, and, and if you found a bag of chips that had all of those things listed on it, that that message has been pounded in our head so much that those terms are just white noise now. You don't even realize that it says non-GMO. You don't even realize that it says organic or fair trade. It's just kind of blindly or it's kind of just fading into the background of the packaging. Well, sadly, um, that has become true of much of the way that we have kind of marketed church. And so there there are buzzwords that we use to get people in the door, and then over the course of time, they become white noise. And so at one point, it was contemporary, where if people were trying to to market towards people looking for a church, it was, we are a contemporary church, or, or we have a contemporary service. And then that became white noise, and so it changed to things being relevant and authentic, Come to our church, you'll you'll hear a relevant message and you'll be surrounded by authentic people. And and then that kind of became white noise. And then a couple of years ago, the, the marketing buzzword for church growth became gospel gospel centered everything it was we have gospel centered preaching we have gospel centered music we have gospel centered small groups we have gospel centered children 's ministry we have gospel centered diaper changing stations we have gospel centered coffee it 's just everything gospel 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 and, and what 's happening is and sadly the the gospel is now becoming white noise to us because of the way it's been used for marketing. And so when we say things like the gospel is the most amazing message ever. The gospel has the power to transform your life. It has the power to break your addictions. It has the power to heal your depression. It has the power to save your marriage, to shape your parenting. And the the gospel changes everything. And, And we say that, but how often do we hear that kind of like, the world's best cup of coffee. Yeah, we we say that, but do we really believe it or is that message just becoming white noise? Well, last week we kicked off a brand new series called Drift. And what we're doing throughout the summer is we're exploring and looking at one of the biggest questions I get as a pastor, which is simply, why do I feel distant from God? And we talked about, about the pyramids in Egypt and the city of Cairo and and how you can look towards the pyramids and see the desert and feel all alone, like there's nothing around and that you're completely isolated. But if you could just turn around, you'd see that Cairo, 8 million people is right there where you can Feel so distant. The truth is, is that you're surrounded by people. In the same way, we can feel distant from God. We can we can experience like we've drifted away from Him. But the truth is, is that if we could just turn around, we'd see that God has always been by our side. And so, how do we turn around? Well, it starts with believing rightly about who we are and admitting that we need a savior, we need help. And then it continues by looking to Christ and putting your faith in who he is and what he has done. In short, the answer is the gospel. It's the anchor that pulls us back to shore when we feel like we're drifting off to see. And so today I want to talk about that. If we're going to experience the transforming power of the gospel in the same way we talk about it, specifically in relation to the times that we feel distant from God, we're going to have to know what the gospel is and we're going to have to realize and understand ways that we can mess it up and rob it of its effectiveness for our lives. All right, so if you've got your Bibles, let's start in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians is a letter written to a region, to multiple churches for the purpose of protecting gospel truths, for the purpose of protecting the message of what God has done in Christ for sinners. It starts off in verse one. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Verse three. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. In these few verses, we get a quick and comprehensive outline of the gospel message. The first thing that we see is is who we are. The first thing we see is is who we are. That word in in verse four for deliver, that means to rescue. Alright, And so the truth is, is that you don't send out to rescue someone unless they're lost and they're helpless. And so the first time I ever went whitewater rafting, you know, you load up in a, in a old school bus and they put rafts on top and you journey to the put-in, and that's normally a long drive. And on the drive, one of the lead guides will begin to give you safety lessons, all right? And in those safety lessons, they'll, they'll hold up a life vest and they'll say, this is not a life preserver. This cannot save you. This will simply keep you afloat. This is a personal flotation device. And then they'll talk about dangers like foot entrapment. If you fall out, do not stand up. If your foot gets caught between two rocks and water is forcefully moving downstream, the water wins. You get pushed over and you die. Don't do that. And they'll talk about the T-grip. They're like, the T-grip, the top of the paddle. they say that has a magnetic attraction to someone's teeth. And and, and so they're like, hold the top of that thing at all times. Don't let go of the T-grip. But then they'll also talk about the hydraulic. All right. The hydraulic is, is basically like a washing machine. If you get thrown into a rapid and you get caught in a hydraulic, you're just like a rag doll spinning around. So let's say that you're a whitewater rafting guide, and you get the, the short straw. So you have a group of middle school girls. It's like, you just got all middle school girls and you know that none of them are gonna paddle with you. You're just gonna have a horrible trip down the river. And so you're going down, you hit your first class three rapids and girls just get ejected everywhere, right? And so one gets caught in a hydraulic and you're looking at her and she's just flipping around and you're going, she's gonna die. Like she's gonna die. Now in that moment, as a rafting guide, you're not sitting there going, here's the manual on how to swim, Right? You're not throwing them a pamphlet with pictures of how to tuck up into a ball and get spit out. What you're doing is you're taking your rope, you're hoping that you hit them between the eyes as they surface so they can grab the rope and be saved because they're, they're in need of help. They need to be rescued. And so in the same way, when we look at how Jesus delivered us or rescued us, we are realizing that who we are is that we are sinners unable to save ourselves. We are hopeless and helpless and we need a savior. So the first thing we see is that we need to be saved. We need to be rescued. Next, we see who Christ is. It says that he gave himself For our sins, right? Now, that word for in verse four means on behalf of or in place of. And so, what it's saying is that Jesus came as our substitute, that Jesus stepped into history to live the life that we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserved, and to offer us eternal life, not through what we can do, but through what he has done. In other words, our salvation is by grace through faith alone. There is nothing we can do to save ourselves. We are completely dependent on the work that he did on our behalf. So Jesus comes as a perfect substitute. So who is he? He is fully God and fully man. He lives the perfect life that was required of us. He dies the death that we should have died. He raises victoriously from the grave. And that same power is the power that he has to extend to us eternal life. Right, So that's who Jesus is. And then we see what that means. You'll notice in verse three, it says, grace to you and peace. Now, so often when we read Paul's letters, we look at those words and think they're just, just normal greetings that you throw out. Like, hello, how are you? But these are significant, powerful words. When he says grace, he's talking about God's unmerited favor or undeserved, lavish blessings. When we see that, 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 that we're not saved by our works and what we can do, we're saved by his amazing grace. And so we're reminding ourselves that salvation is a gift it's not something we can earn. It's something that we receive. And then when he talks about peace, this is a reminder that not only in our salvation has the offense of our sin been removed, but our relationship with God has been repaired. You see, this is this is assurance of our salvation. This is the assurance that, that when God looks at us, he no longer sees sinners who are hostile towards him. He sees saints who are his beloved children. In Christ, the penalty of our sin has been removed and the relationship with God has been repaired so that our position with him can change. That God now sees us as his children that he loves. And because of that, we have assurance, we have peace through God's grace. So these are two incredible, beautiful truths that Paul wants his readers to be reminded of, right? Now, if I was to summarize the gospel, you you can't just do it really quick. And so I'm going to give you the best summary statement I can. The gospel is this, Jesus stepped into history to accomplish our salvation through his life death, and resurrection. We have been rescued from the wrath our sin deserves. And now through Jesus, God accepts us and adopts us as heirs in his kingdom. This is all by grace. There's nothing we could do to earn it or deserve it. But in God's incredible and indescribable love, he has chosen us at the expense of his one and only son. You see, the message of Galatians is this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything, okay? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Now that's the gospel in a way, with that message is what has the power to change and to transform our lives. The problem is that we begin to distort that gospel. We begin to tamper with it and to change it. And when we do so, the gospel that has the power to change everything becomes something ineffective to change anything, all right? Look at verses six and seven. He says, "'I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ.'" All right, so in verses three and four, we see what the gospel is. Now in verses six and seven, we're gonna begin to see how we distort or change that gospel. What the gospel is in its purest form changes everything, but when we begin to change it, it's ineffective to change anything. All right, when he talks about deserting, he says, he says, you are so quickly deserting. That word is meant to carry the same weight that we would think of a military soldier going AWOL or going absent without leave. And so if, if a soldier goes AWOL, that's a serious offense right? They're risking being dishonorably discharged. They're risking forfeiting their pay. They're risking jail time when they are found. Like this is a serious offense to go AWOL. And so what he's saying is like, when we desert God, we need to see that as something that he takes seriously, right? When he talks about being astonished, he's like, I'm, I'm astonished. If we were to modernize or give like a modern equivalent to that word, he's saying, I'm kind of freaking out. He's like, I'm kind of freaking out that you were so quickly deserting the gospel, right? So, so, so imagine this, right? When he, when he says he's astonished, he's astonished because they're doing great, right? They're doing great. They're hoping in Christ and Christ alone. Then out of nowhere, there's this, this sudden and radical change in their hope like out of nowhere. So he's, he's like, I'm kind of freaking out. I mean, imagine this. Let's say that you, you have like what's happening in Iowa right now, all the Democratic debates. And so you get Bernie Sanders and Bernie Sanders is, is making a charge with the Democratic Party again. He's, he's raising 20 bucks a person and just making all the money he needs to, to, to take over the United States. And so let's say that Bernie runs a hard race, but then as it starts getting closer to election, he starts to fade and it's clear that he's not gonna win. All right. So Bernie bows out. All right. Now let's say that, that at this moment, when candidates kind of bow out, you kind of wait for them to come out and publicly endorse someone else. Like, who's he going to get behind? What candidate is he going to say we should, we should put our vote towards? And so we're waiting patiently for Bernie to come out. And then he comes onto CNN. It's this big broadcast and he comes out and there's just an elephant flag and he just starts dumping gas on it like dumping gas, and then he lights it on fire. Someone brings out a donkey and he hops on it, puts on a MAGA hat, and rides off into the sunset. Like, you'd be like, I'm just, I'm astonished. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm a little freaked out. Like, if you were a follower of Bernie, you would be freaked out because that is a sudden and like crazy change. Just it came out of nowhere. No one would have seen that coming. And so what Paul's saying, when he's saying, I'm astonished, he goes like, I could have never seen this coming. He goes, look, you guys were offered like a dry-aged, bone-in ribeye cooked perfectly, and you've set that aside and grabbed a can of Spam that's past its expiration date. Like, this makes no sense. How could you taste the goodness and the joy of of salvation through grace and grace alone and then come in and change that message? So he says he's, he's astonished that they're so quickly deserting the gospel. All right. And so, so how do we distort the gospel? Right, there are two ways, right? How do we distort the gospel? The first is what I will call gospel pollution. The second is what we'll call gospel dilution. All right. Gospel pollution, gospel dilution. All right. So the first way that we distort the gospel is we pollute it by adding things to it. Right? So this church got off the ground with the message that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Now this group of religious leaders show up and they begin to preach another message. They start to tell this church that no, 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 it's Jesus plus rules equals Christianity. Right, And so all of a sudden these people start to really hope in their effort to earn God's acceptance and God's approval. So it's grace plus what we bring to the table. And so they're adding to the gospel, all right? All right, so he's like, look, you guys were experiencing life, but now that you added your effort to the equation, that life is being zapped from you, all right? So, so think about it. What are some things in our culture, like for them, it was specifically circumcision, right? We're not struggling with that as an American culture, but what are some things that we bring to the table? Like think through the things that that we maybe Admittedly, or maybe not admittedly, think well. If I do this, God will will love me more. If I do this, I think God will. I can I can be sure of God's acceptance. If I do this, then I know God will will approve of my life. And we start to hope in these other things. What are some things that we bring to the table? For some people, it's like, well, did you have the right baptism? Were you baptized by water? Did you experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You know, for other people, it's it's Bible study. Well, how much are you reading your Bible? Are you reading it four times a week because that's more than not? Are you reading it every day? Are you studying? Are you meditating on it? Maybe it's your prayer life. How's your prayer life? Do you have a prayer language? Do have you have you are you are you varsity? Because I feel like I'm varsity. Like, Like how's your prayer life? Maybe it's evangelism. Are you sharing your faith? Maybe it's things that you aren't supposed to do. Like how are you doing not cussing? You controlling your anger. Or maybe it's like, hey, are you listening to Christian music? I feel like you're not listening to enough Christian music. And so we can do these things and all of a sudden feel like that God's approval rating of us changes based off of our effort we bring to the table. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. Here's the deal. Grace, listen to me, grace always leads to peace. Our effort for God's approval and acceptance leads to unrest and anxiety. Okay? Okay. And so when they bring their effort to the table, they're no longer experiencing the peace that God gives. They're finding unrest and anxiety, never knowing if they've done enough for God to be approving of them. All right, so the first thing that we do that distorts the gospel is we add to it, all right? We add to it and we pollute it, all right? Now, the next thing that we do is we dilute the gospel, all right, This this is where we water the gospel down. All right, so the first thing is gospel pollution, where we add our effort and think that God's acceptance and approval of us hinges on what we can do. Right? When we do that, we pollute the gospel and it becomes ineffective and even dangerous for our lives. Okay? The next thing is gospel dilution. All right? and, and so when we think about the way that we dilute the gospel, one of the ways we do this is through this. Right? Paul hammers home the message of grace and grace alone. So if you read Galatians, like you're seeing it over and over and over again. It's grace, it's grace, it's grace. We are saved by grace through faith alone. You're like, is it faith or grace first? I think of GF for girlfriend, like GF, grace, faith. All right? You were saved by grace through faith alone, nothing Else, That was a freebie on how to memorize that. All right, now, and so all of a sudden, people are starting to ask the question. They're going, wait, 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 wait. You're saying it's grace. And you're saying that there's nothing I can do to make God love me more. There's nothing I could do or have done to make him love me less. So it really doesn't matter how I live my life. I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, and it's no big deal deal. Like I, at the end of the day, know that God's going to love me no matter what. God's going to accept me no matter what. God's going to give me his approval no matter what because of Christ. So I don't really have to spend my energy trying to be more like Jesus. I can just do whatever I want. At the end of the day, I got a stamp of approval and I'm good. Is Is that how we're hearing this? And so what happens is the way that we dilute the gospel is we make much of grace, but we make light of sin. You see, we water down the gospel when we make light of our sin. Yes, grace is amazing, but we have to realize that sin is still a big deal. Let me, let me explain how, because you might be wondering like, how, how does this work? When we minimize our sin, right, like when we take things and start redefining what sin is and what sin isn't, or we start to think that, well, this isn't that big of a deal or this sin's not as bad as that sin, we start to kind of recategorize this stuff. When we minimize our sin, We reduce our awareness that we need a Savior. Okay, so we begin to water down the gospel. If you think about this, if if our sin is small, then that means our Savior's small. But if our sin is big, it means that our Savior is bigger. Okay, so grace is never meant to lead to rebellion. Grace is meant to lead to surrender. Where we follow God not because we have to, but because we want to. Look at Galatians 5.13. Just flip over a a page or two. Galatians 5.13. This is the way that Paul responds to those asking this question. He says this, For you were called to freedom. Brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You see, freedom isn't a license to sin. It's an opportunity for love and service. Think about it like this. Let's say that a stranger walks up to me and they say, hey, if you cheated on your wife, Lucy, um, what do you think would happen? I'll be like, I don't wanna think about that. Like, I'm not playing what ifs. She's made comments and joking about a knife and some things that I don't think like, I want to go there. And so like, like, but, but then like, if someone pressed, like, what would, what would your wife do? Here's what I know. If that ever, like I said, this is all hypothetical. Nothing's on the table. Like, but hypothetically, like I know, like, I know that that would destroy her. I know it would destroy her in ways that I can never put language towards. I know that it would wreck our marriage, that, that the heartbreak would, would be unbearable at times. But at the same time, I also know that God's grace has gripped her heart in such a way that it would take time and it would take work and it would take a miracle, but we believe wholeheartedly miracles, but I believe that she would forgive me and we would be able to work through this. Would it be dark? Yes, but would she forgive me? Absolutely. So what would happen if someone says like, so you're saying she would forgive you, then why don't you? Like if you're, you, know that you, you know that she would forgive you, so, so why don't you do it then? because I love her, because I love her. You see, when we understand God's love, our aim isn't to to belittle his grace and blatantly sin against him. It's, It's to give him all of our love because he's absolutely worth it. You see, grace was never meant to be this license to do whatever you want. It was meant to be this opportunity to show greater love and service to others because God has freed us towards that. Right, so so the, the second way we, do, we, we mess with the gospel is we reduce our sin, ignore its effects, and fail to see what it costs Christ. And when we do that, we reduce the outworking of God's grace in our hearts to bring about the change and healing that we desperately need. All right, let me, let me say that one more time. When we reduce our sin, ignore its effects, and fail to see what it cost Christ. We reduce the outworking of God's grace in our hearts to bring about the change in the healing that we desperately need. All right, so, so we have what the gospel is. And we have two ways that we can distort it, either by adding our efforts or, or minimizing our sin. So here's what we need to rest in. We need to rest in the gospel truth that we have. And the gospel truth is that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And if we're going to experience, it's transforming power. And if it's going to to be the anchor that pulls us back to the shore, when we feel like we're drifting, we cannot add to that or take away from that. Think about it like this. Um, I, I enjoy my yard. I wish it was true green commercial ready, but it's not. All right. And so every year around springtime, I go to Home Depot and I buy a bag of Scott's weed and feed. And then I throw that in my Scott mixer and I just push it around my yard. And then, and then I wonder like, did that do anything? Right. Did I? And so last year, spring came around and I thought, you know what? I think I'm wasting my time and my money. This isn't doing anything. So I didn't do any Scott's weed and feed. That was a bad idea. All of a sudden clover and plantain just like overran my yard and I was like, what did I do? And so this year I was like, I've got to make up for what I neglected to do. And so I show up at Home Depot and I'm looking at the, the bag of Scott's weed and feed and right next to it is Scott Turf Biddle triple action. And I was like, that's triple action. Like that's doing more and it costs more, therefore it must be better. So I, I get the bag of, of, of triple action and I go through my yard before any of the weeds pop up and show themselves. So I'm thinking I'm gonna get ahead of the game. This is the year I'm gonna have a yard that kids run around barefoot and people are like, how did you get your yard so green? And it's gonna be awesome. And, and so I put that out there and then apparently I did too much damage because the clover just came up in force. The plantain just started like coming out like crazy. And I was like, my yard is being overran. I've got to do something. And so a buddy of mine goes, you know what you need? You need 2,4-D. You need and I was like, what is that? Just go down to the tractor supply, get you some. So I go down to the tractor supply and I get me some 2,4-D, which apparently is half of what was needed to create Agent Orange in Vietnam, which is now illegal. Like <laughs> found that out after the fact. But got me some 2,4-D, mixed it up in my sprayer and I sprayed my yard and it didn't do anything. And I was like, how bad is my yard? And so, and so I got it and I upped the mixture. I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna double this. And so, where it said like eight tablespoons for two gallons, I was like, let's go 16. And so I, I upped the ante, I, I made this mixture, and I went to my yard again, and lo and behold, it worked. It killed my clover, it killed my plantain, and it hurt my grass. <laughs> like, and so now my yard looks really bad. I'm like, duh. Right? And so it turns out that for the 2,4 D to have the effect you want, it actually needs to be perfectly balanced. You can't have too much water or too much of the, the liquid, it's got to be right. And when it's right, it produces the effect that you're longing for. Well, in the same way, that's how the gospel works. You see, the gospel is perfectly balanced. We don't need to add anything to it. We don't need to take anything away. When we have the gospel, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, that has the power to bring about the effect that we're looking for. You see, we need the proof gospel. If you were a sailor back in the 18th century, during the time of pirates— Um, captains would sometimes pay their crew with rum. Right, and so when you think about drinking water, wasn't readily available. They had diseases like scurvy. And so this was actually a valuable commodity to have. And, but what happened is, is captains began to water the rum down to spread out their ability to pay their sailors and sailors caught on to this. And so if you've ever wondered like proof, where does that term come from? What the sailors would do is they would mix the rum they were paid with gunpowder and they would light it. And if it flashed, they knew that it was proved to be full. It was full proof. And if it didn't flash, then Knew that it had been watered down. All right, and so, in the same way, like we need the foolproof gospel, we need the gospel in its fullness. And we have the gospel, it has the power to transform everything. It has the power to bring us near to God. It has the power to change our lives. It has the power to heal broken relationships with your spouse, your parents, your kids, your, your, your friends, like your enemies. It has the power to heal that. It has the power to make right everything that has gone wrong in the world. We need to come back and hope in Christ and nothing else. And that's what transforms everything. All right, so, so quick recap. All right? The gospel is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That has the power to change it all. We can ruin its effectiveness by distorting it. And we distort it by either adding to it through our effort or watering it down through minimizing our sin. But when we hope in the gospel, in the gospel alone, it can change everything. Now, I've been around church long enough to know that this message has been preached and that there are so many people here going, I've heard it and nothing's changed. There's enough people in here today that are saying, my marriage is still on the rocks. My kid hasn't talked to me for three years. I'm still addicted to something that I've been fighting since I was in college. And you're sitting there saying like, yeah, you're saying this, but it seems so ambiguous. Like, like how, like, is it just simply just knowing it? Like, I I know the information. I've heard this preached. Like you've heard you, you, you always say this same type of language about not what you can do, but he's done. Like, I believe in that and I'm still here and I'm still hurting. Right. Maybe, maybe that's where you're at today. And you're saying like, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of in the world's best cup of coffee camp. Like, I know that you say that, but I'm not really sure I believe it. I want you to think about this, all right? We'll wrap up here. When I was in high school, I took Algebra 2. And I never thought I would use this stuff in real life, but apparently use like quadratic and linear equations on a daily basis. But like, like I was like, like, what do I need to know this for? Like, I don't need to know Algebra for life. But to get through Algebra, I had my TI-83 Calculator. I have no clue what TI-80 we're on now, but it was the 83 when I was there. In the 83 calculator, I, I knew how to work that thing like the back of my hand. Like I could, I, could, I could use it to solve matrices. I could use it to play addictive video games that you could upload to that thing. Like I, I knew how to use my, my calculator. Now, if you handed me my T83 calculator, like the very calculator that was mine, if you're like, Jeff, here it is, pull up the game where you go down and you try not to hit the side, I'd be like, I don't know how to get there. Like, solve a matrix. I'm, I'm clueless. Like, I don't, like, I would look like an ape trying to use an iPad. Like I, like, I wouldn't know what to do with this thing because I understood that knowledge well enough to pass algebra and to get out of high school. And once I got out of high school, I never wanted to visit that stuff again. I understood it, and then once I got it, I moved on from it. And a lot of times, that's how we treat the gospel message. We understand it and we think, okay, like I'm good to go. I know that I'm going to heaven. I've passed the test to to get past St. Peter at the pearly gates. Like, so we're good. Now I'm gonna move on to other things. But the gospel was never meant to be moved on from. It was meant to grow deeper into. And so once we know these truths, we grow deeper in them by applying them to every area of our lives. We apply it to our identity We apply it to our our purpose and calling in life. We apply it to the things that we do on a daily basis. We apply it to our suffering. We apply it to to every area. And as we apply these gospel truths and see how they they have implications for those things, we begin to experience the transforming power we're talking about. And so that's where we're gonna be going for the remainder of this series. Now that we know what the gospel is, and know how we can distort it and rob it of its effectiveness, we wanna start taking the pure foolproof gospel and applying it to our lives because that's what we need if we're gonna come back to shore when we feel like we're drifting. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the foolproof gospel. God, there, there's so much truth and, and beauty to it that, that we can never scrape the surface of its depths For our time on earth, much less eternity. God, your love is incredible. Your love is indescribable. And God, we wanna know it more. And we wanna know what it means to take these truths and to apply them. God, there are people here today that are hurting. They're hurting as just an individual feeling they don't know who they are, wondering if you love them. And there are people here who are hurting relationally, just they, they feel so much tension in their marriage, or with their kids, or with their parents, or with a, a friendship that's gone wrong, or God, they, were some aggressiveness that's come their way at work, and, and God, there are people who just look at the world and know that it's broken, and we keep hoping in technology, and it doesn't make anything better, and we hope in systems and people, and they don't fix it, and we're we're, we're feeling hopeless, and God, there are people who feel so far from you, God, we need to know your love, in such a way that it, it brings restoration to all of the hurt, that it makes us experience heaven today. So God, we ask that you would bring that down. God, bring heaven on earth. we love you, we ask that you would grab us and draw us near to yourself this morning. It's in your holy name that we pray, amen. We wanna remember the gospel every week at Redeemer. We wanna come back to it and, and think through why this is so incredible and how it applies to us today. And to do that, we take the Lord's Supper. Um, if you are a follower of Christ, this is a symbolic meal that I wanna invite you to. We have tables in the back. Uh, gluten-free is, is back by the sound booth. But as you approach that table, remember that Christ gave his body for you and spilt his blood that he lived the life you couldn't live and died the death that you deserve so that he could extend to you the life you could never earn. Let that be good news for you this morning. If you're not a follower of Christ and you're feeling the brokenness and the hurt that we've been talking about and you're saying, I I need something, I'm desperate, the only hope we have is Christ crucified. And I wanna call you to put your faith in him this morning. But wherever we are, the gospel demands and calls us to respond. So I encourage you to follow as Christ leads. Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com.